If that doesn't put you in a good mood, I honestly don't know what will, right? A box full of confetti opening, that's just glorious. Hey, it's Christmas, everybody. It is Christmas season. Um, now, I love Christmas because I am obsessed with the church's liturgical calendar. Ignore that word if you don't know what it means. For those of you who know what it means, you'll, you're going to connect with me right now. You're going to have a heart connection. But I love how actually the calendar is set up to anticipate the story of Christ. Right now, you don't know it, but they actually set up the calendar so everyone, whether they believe in God or not, right now, they're anticipating the arrival of Jesus coming. We celebrate it December 25th, but the point is it's not this one-time thing. We're supposed to connect to that anticipation and that excitement. And so I love this time of year. Uh, it's easy to get caught up in the wonder that is the Target Wonder Shop, right? Um, it's easy to get caught up in the HGTV Santa House at Washington Square. Like literally, it's a mansion in the middle of Washington Square. And we start actually thinking that's what Christmas is about, right? Or any, any other partakers of this Hallmark channel? Anybody else? You can raise your hands right now. I will raise my hands with you binge watching Christmas movies in our pajamas. Any, oh, there, I have so many people in here. We are so on the same page. We should just have like a holiday where we all come and everybody who wants to guilty. I tried to actually force my husband into watching one the other day and I, I maybe bought it on iTunes because I told him it was my very favorite one. And it's, I think it's like a crown for Christmas or something. You know which one I'm talking about, girls. And he was really embarrassed for me. And I, I actually think for the rest of the day, he loved me a little bit less. Like, he was like, babe, this is not good. And I'm like, but it ends happy. And everyone is happy. And they're all good looking. And it's happy. And he's a prince. He's actually a king. It's great. And he's like, okay. Um, but Hallmark aside, Target aside, Washington Square aside, God has come to our world with salvation. And we're not celebrating decorations, although they're cool. We're not celebrating gifts and getting. We're celebrating the fact that we live in a world that Jesus is in, that his salvation is in, that he's arrived, he's here. And so I'm hoping this morning that we're all going to catch a glimpse of Jesus in a fresh way. I am praying this morning that just as we look through the story of Mary and we meet, read the Magnificat, my prayer is that each one of you would again, afresh, be awed by who Jesus is and his arrival into our world. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I had the privilege of going to LA for two days for a conference with Pastor Jess and Chris, who runs our services. And it was one of those conferences that was very teaching and you're sitting in hours of like these class type things and you're taking notes and they're making you workshop it. And it was like a lot of work, but I was in LA and it was like 80 degrees. So, I mean, I couldn't complain too much, you know? So it was pretty good. And the one of the days we were there, Pastor Jess is like, we should go to Disneyland. <laughs> and I 
love Disneyland. And if you even say Disneyland, my heart leaps with joy. Like I'm just like, oh, you know, like I all of a sudden can sing opera. Again, there's so many people in here this morning who are so like me. Let's have a group huddle after, okay? So anyways, I'm like, yes. And so the first day I can tell you, church, I got so much out of the conference. The second day, all I was thinking about was going to Disneyland, right? I'd be listening to them and I'm like, yeah, Rhythms of Grace, Uh uh-huh. Disney Castle, (laughs) princesses, fireworks. You know, like I was like, squirrel. Um, And so the point in time came where we could strategically leave the conference and we still would have experienced the whole thing. It would just be a touch early. So we left and we're in the car and see Chris is Brazilian. He's never been to Disneyland. So, I mean, I was like, I was giddy with excitement for him. I'm like, this is gonna be the best three hours because it was really late at night. This is gonna be the best three hours of your life. It's gonna be amazing. And I'm like, and we're riding this ride and this. And he's like, I don't even like roller coasters. I'm like, okay, I'm riding this ride and this ride and this ride. It's gonna be amazing. Actually, you all go do the fireworks. I'm on Space Mountain over and over and over again. So I was just, I was excited. And so Pastor Jess is like, hey, do that research on the twilight ticket thing you found. And I was like, oh yeah, I did find that, didn't I? So I'm like researching it and I'm like, okay, we have to get it at the Anaheim Conference Center. He's like, okay, find out about the Anaheim Conference Center. I'm like, they're closed. He's like, okay, well, if we don't get these twilight tickets, he's like, we're not going to Disneyland because we're not going to pay that much money for three hours. And I'm like, it's good. God's good. God loves me. I'm blessed. I'm getting into Disneyland. So... The sad part of the story is God still loves me, okay? Just know that. God still loves me. Um, I worked my way through it. Okay, so we get there, and I'm like, I go up to the counter, and I'm like, hey, do you still have Twilight tickets? And she's like, we've never had those. I'm like, that is not what the website says. They said, you got rid of them two months ago. Don't you still have a few around that you can give me? She's like, no. I'm like, do you have a discount for those who are only coming in for three hours? She's like, no. And I'm like, but it costs $124. It doesn't mathematically add up that I should have to pay the same amount as people who got here when it first opened, you know? And she's like, who are you? Shut up. Go away. Like, stop talking to me. And I'm like, I'm determined because I have been expecting going to Disneyland all day. I'm getting into Disneyland, people. So I'm like, okay, and I forgot to tell you this. I was sending my husband really nasty text messages like, I'm going to Disneyland, neener, neener, neener. I told you you should have come, neener, neener, neener. And, you know, they went on and on. And then I realized, wait, he's going to tell my kids I'm going to Disneyland without them. So then the plan was I am buying them the biggest, best present ever so that I can say, oh, I just went into Disneyland to buy you a really cool present, right? Like they're going to buy that. So I'm like, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to go and find three people walking out of Disneyland and I'm going to get their tickets and I'm getting into Disneyland. So I'm literally, Chris reminded me of this. I was literally walking towards three people and I'm like, what if they have me on camera? And I end up in Disney jail. Although, doesn't Disney jail sound so great? I'm like, actually, now that I think about it, if it gets me into the park, I will do it. I want in that park. So, of course, Pastor Jess, who is wise, is like, we're not going to Disneyland. And I'm like sitting there and I'm like, okay, will Ben kill me if I pay for all three of us to go to Disneyland? I mean, like, I can maybe get away with paying myself. And Pastor Jess is like, give it up. Like... (laughs) 
<laughs> we're not going to Disneyland. Here's just something to know. If I would have asked those three people, apparently they take your picture now. And so um, don't do that because you really will up in, end up in Disney jail. But here's the thing. We didn't get into Disneyland. Isn't that horrible? So you feel bad for me. If, you, if anybody wants to send me to Disneyland because of my sorrow, I, I'll, I'll go. But we went to downtown Disney because downtown Disney is just as good, no. And the fireworks, the fireworks are going off and there's like this big, huge construction site and we all have our cameras out and we're like reaching around video. And I'm like, I videoed half of a fireworks show because I was that desperate to see Disney. It was the saddest thing. And there's Chris and he's like, I feel like I'm looking over the fence at the promised land. He's like, I understand how Moses feels. You know, we were like, our, well, so then we leave and we're just like, we had had this expectancy, this euphoria about getting into Disneyland. And when it was taken from us, we all became crazy. And we were like laughing so hard that people thought we had experienced the magic of Disney. And we're like, no, this is what disappointment looks like. Uh, but here's the thing. Can I tell you something? If you expect Jesus, you get Jesus. If you expect salvation, you get salvation. Jesus isn't like Pastor Jess. <laughs> when he promises you Disney, he doesn't take it away from you. Here, Disney, Disney, just kidding, right? No, it's okay, I, lo I love him, he owes me though. I, I will get Disney out of him. <laughs> no, when Jesus promises us something, he comes through. And this morning, I want to talk to you about God showing up. And I want to talk about three conditions that are going to release praise in your life. And I really believe people of God, God has a message for us this morning. And I'm saying us because this message is for me. I'm going to talk to you a little bit about my week. God gave me this message in the middle of something I was facing. And this is what I believe and I know about God. God's got a word for you today because some of you are in the middle of something. And I, I just wanna tell you, Christmas is not all about this. This is cool. You know why this is cool? Because it gets us into the wonder and the magic. But you know what? Christmas is about the arrival of Jesus into our world. And this morning, God wants to just, he wants to come and he wants to breathe on the Christmas story. He wants to take our hallmark little figurine Jesus and he wants to wipe the slate clean. And he actually wants to show us some real people so that we can actually see him. Because you know, when you're playing with toys, it just becomes a fairy tale. When you're playing with the little nativity set, it's just this cute little fairy tale. And not that that's bad, like to have the nativity set. I'm not saying that, but what I'm saying is this isn't a fairy tale. This is the truth. This is the gospel. This is the good news. And he wants to give us fresh eyes and a fresh heart to see what he's doing in the world. So if you would, let's turn to Luke chapter one. And I'm gonna do a bit of reading today, but that's okay, right? Because we read the word of God. The word of God is worth reading, right? It's worth telling, but it's also worth reading. People have given their lives so that you and I can do this. So let's, let's experience it. So here we go. Luke 1, 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary and the angel came to her and said, greetings favored woman, the Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by his statement 
as I think all of us would be if an angel appeared in our rooms. I feel like I would be scared out of my mind and I would hide under the covers. I would call Ben, I would for sure call Ben. When you're married to a firefighter, the benefit is he's not afraid of anything except for snakes. Sorry, babe, I just had to say it. It's his Achilles heel, it's his one flaw. Every, every hero has one, babe, every hero has one. Okay, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. And Mary asked the angel, how can this be since I've never known a man? And the angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, the power of the most high will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth, even she has conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who is called childless, for nothing will be impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it be done to me according to your word. Conception compels conviction. Here's the thing. We view Mary through our Christmified version of her. How awesome the angel comes. How wonderful she gets to be the mother of the savior of the world. Lucky Mary, wonderful Mary. Some religions, some churches, Saint Mary. We, we marry Mary, oh, you know, Mary. But you know what the truth of the matter is? The truth of the matter is Mary is a Torah girl. Mary is an Old Testament girl. She got something very clearly. Engaged in their world meant married. She was married. What happens when a married woman becomes pregnant with somebody else's kid other than her husband? In this time period, that's called adultery. It's not like, oops, you're pregnant. It's, oops, we're gonna stone you. And maybe if you were lucky, they would actually hold a trial for you instead of stoning you. And at this trial, they would give you this cup of basically poison. And if you lived through the process of drinking the poison, if your baby happened to live through the process of drinking the poison, then you were not considered an adulteress. This is worst case scenario, but let's talk about best case scenario for Mary. Hey, Mary, your son, he's gonna be illegitimate. You know what that means? It means he's the kid on the playground who everyone's taunting. He's the kid on the playground who everybody's making fun of. He's an outcast, he's an outsider, he's a nobody. What about your husband, devout Jew, Joseph? Well. That's gonna come into question. People are gonna wonder, is he really who he says he is? See, we read this and we're like, yeah, she's the mother of Jesus, Woohoo! Mary hears this and she's looking through the grid of that. If I say yes to that, I'm an adulterer. If I say yes to that, my kid is an outcast. If I say yes to that, 
my husband's gonna question me. He's gonna think less of me. And staring that down in the face, Mary says this, be it unto me. Whoa. Do you know how many people tell me, I thought God loved me. I thought God was for me. I do my devotions. Why didn't God help me get a good grade on my test? I do my devotions. Why didn't I get that job? I do my devotions. I go to church. Why didn't I get that husband? Why hasn't life worked out the way I thought it was supposed to work out? That's not what God promises us. He promises us salvation. He promises us conception of his new life inside of us. You know what that means? It doesn't mean life's perfect. It means we stare down those things and we say, in the face of our foes, in the face of our enemies, we say, be it unto me. See, and here's the thing. We so glorify Mary that we think she's this extraordinary woman. She's doing all the, wow, only Mary could do that. No, Mary was an ordinary girl who God came and gave an extraordinary vocation to. Can I tell you, people of God, we are ordinary people who every single day, God comes and he gives us an extraordinary vocation. We get to carry new life inside of us. We get to carry salvation inside of us to a world who desperately needs it. But it doesn't mean our lives are gonna be perfect. It doesn't mean our lives are gonna be easy. It means we stare down our foes and we say, be it unto me. That's what that song, I Surrender, means. It's not cute. It's not trite. It's not religious jargon. It's people staring down their foes saying, She was 13 years old, 13 years old, looking at that future. But she got that the promise of salvation was bigger than any trial, than any fear, than any enemy. Uh, my, my oldest son, we've been walking down a journey with him the last year where he just has some challenges to learning and we've been trying to figure out how his brain specifically works and how God has wired him uniquely. And we were sitting in a meeting this week with somebody who's been working with him. And as I'm talking to her, just fear, fear just started gripping my heart, anxiety, I started thinking about his future and I just, I just, I was under this cloud of worry and I felt like God just whispered to my heart. He said, Jerusha, what if this is how salvation enters Hudson's life? What if this is how I get at what I want to do in Hudson's life? Stare down that foe and say, be it unto us. Teach Hudson to stare down that foe and say, be it unto me. I don't understand it. I don't see it all the way through, but I see you enemy. And in the face of my enemies, I'm gonna say, come on, Jesus, plant your new life in me. Come on, Jesus, plant your salvation in me. People of God, the grace of the gospel is this. We get to look at the face of our enemies and say in the face of our enemies, be it unto me. But 
But the problem is we think because we're Christians, we shouldn't have enemies. We think because we're Christians, we shouldn't have foes. Can I tell you this? You might not be a Christian if you don't have any enemies. You might not be a Christian if you don't have any foes. Because can I tell you, when salvation is coming at your life, when salvation is getting birthed inside of you, there's going to be resistance to the salvation process. There's going to be resistance to the new life process. And I am here to tell you today that God wants his conception in you to compel you to a conviction that it doesn't matter what you face. It doesn't matter what's coming at you. It doesn't matter what's in your crosshairs. You look at your foe and you say, be it unto me. And I propose that all throughout history, people who have made their mark on our world for Christ have been people who stare down their foes and say, be it unto me. Martin Luther King Jr., he was leading a bus boycott in Montgomery, Alabama, and he was in his home and he received a phone call and the phone call said, I'm gonna kill you and I'm gonna kill your family. And he was paralyzed with fear as any of us would be, just completely paralyzed with fear. And he sat down at his kitchen table and he poured himself a cup of coffee and as he was sitting there he heard the Lord begin to speak to him fight for righteousness fight for truth fight for what I want to do and while he was sitting there he heard God say to him I will be with you always I will never leave you I will never leave you alone I will never leave you I will never leave you alone and you know what he did he got up and he said the fear was gone and he was in. Why? Because Martin Luther stared down his enemies and he said, be it unto me. The world we live in, the grace, the unity that's on us as a nation is because somebody looked at his foes and he didn't chicken out. He didn't get scared. He looked them in the eyes and he said, bring it. I think some of us need to look our enemies in the eyes and say, bring it, be it unto me. God's birthing himself in me. God's birthing his salvation in me. It may hurt, it may be confusing, it may not make sense, but I'm looking at you enemy and I'm saying to my God, be it unto me. Conception compels conviction. The story goes on. Luke 1, verse 39, if you want to read along. In those days, Mary set out and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judah where she entered Zachariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped inside her and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and your child will be blessed. How could this happen to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For you see, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped for joy inside of me. And then she says one of the most amazing pronouncements in the Bible. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill what he has spoken to her. She believed before she saw and so she sang. She believed before she saw. Am I someone who only believes when I see? Are you someone who only believes when you see. See, it's easy 
when God has done something really awesome for you, you know, if I handed you a thousand dollar check, how many of you know, you'd be like during worship, yeah, I surrender. You know, you'd be, you'd be all about it. If I gave you a million dollar check, I promise you this, you would be two hands up. I don't care who you are in this room. If right now I walked to you and I said, Doug Jones, I got a million dollar check for you. You'd be like, I surrender, you know? It's easy to believe when we see. You know what is hard to believe when we can't see? You know what is hard to believe when our enemy is staring us in the face and we know God's promise and we hear God's promise, but we don't see the fulfillment? That's when it gets really hard. And see, what's about to happen here, we're going to get into a really famous passage of scripture. It's called the Magnificat. That is Latin for the first lines of her song, which is, my soul praises the greatness of the Lord. In liturgical churches all over the world, at Vespers, every single night, they pray this passage of scripture. Because we're evangelicals and we're Protestants, we're so worried about elevating Mary and making her a saint, we kind of ignore all of this scripture and we miss the extraordinariness there is in the story of an ordinary girl looking at her foes saying, be it unto me, then breaking forth into this song. See, when I look at the world, I don't see salvation. I mean, maybe I see glimpses here and there. But when I look at the world, it sometimes leaves me hopeless. I was recently with my husband at a funeral of a guy he worked with, young guy, amazing guy, like best of humans. And I'm sitting at this funeral and there's 1,500 people there, most of which are wearing firefighter uniforms. My husband's a firefighter. And you're like in awe, number one, that there's that many people in uniform all around you. You're just like surrounded by a sea of black and navy. And at firefighter funerals, they do this moment in the service where they ring a bell and then they send the firefighter, if somebody dies on when they're in active duty, they send them out on their final dispatch. I don't know if I've actually heard anything as horrifically moving as, and it was the actual dispatch sending him out for his last call. And while dispatch was sending this amazing human being, the world was blessed to have him walk this earth, sending him out on this final call, I hear men, strong men, men wearing uniform, men you don't hear or see cry, I hear weeping all across the auditorium. Our world's not right. Our world's messed up. That's why God gives us things like this passage. N.T. Wright, he's a famous theologian. He says this about the Magnificat. It's the gospel before the gospel. A fierce, bright shout of triumph. 30 weeks before Bethlehem, 30 years before Calvary and Easter. It goes with a swing and a clap and a stomp. It's all about God and it's all about Easter and it's all about revolution. 
And it's because of Jesus, Jesus who's only just been conceived, not yet born, but who has Mary giddy with excitement and hope and triumph. I wrote a couple thoughts about this. In this passage of praise, we hear the deep expectation and yearning of centuries of a world that is longing to be set right, wrongs to be reversed, people to be delivered. It's not a cute, passive, adolescent poem. No, this is a roar. This is a revolution. This is not a plea for Jesus to set this messed up world right, but this is a praise rooted in a deep belief that the promise is as good as fulfilled. Lisa Bevere says that there's 50 to 163 million women who were born who are now missing in India. There are 24.9 million victims in our world of human trafficking, both in sex and labor. There's 428,000 kids in foster care. There's 140 million orphans in the world. 15.5 million orphans have lost both their parents and family. In the face of all of this, Jesus sends a little 13-year-old girl a message from an angel, and her response is not just be it unto me. Her response in the face of all of that is to praise. You know why I think she begins to sing? I think she begins to sing because some of the most important things we have to say remain a little bit beyond our best words. Because worship is supposed to take us from where we are to where he is. See, promise prompts praise. When we get what God's promised, even when we can't see it, it's supposed to prompt praise in us. See, it's supposed to take us from the place where we are, where we're looking at our situations, where we're staring down our enemies, where we're staring down our foes. And it's supposed to take us to the place where Jesus is ruling and reigning and winning. It takes me beyond these statistics. It takes me beyond the burden and the pain in my heart. When I look at my citizens' kids, Man, if I told you some of their stories, I would have you all in here weeping. When I think about the story, I lose the promise. But when I think about the promise, I think, God, you can take anyone. You can take any story. You can take any situation. And you can take people from where they are to where you are, to where you win, to where you rule. And see, Mary, what she got, this song is a song of coronation. This song is a song that says, Jesus isn't just a little baby inside me. Jesus is the King of Kings. Jesus is the Lord of Lords. Jesus is the wonderful counselor. He's the mighty God. He's the everlasting Father. He is it. And when he comes to the world, when he enters the world, everything that's upside down, everything that's wrong, he begins to set it right side up and he sets up his kingdom and he rules and he wins. See, promise prompts praise. We want fulfillment to prompt praise. So sometimes we sit here at church and we're like, I'm not singing that. I don't surrender. 
You haven't been good to me. You haven't done what you promised. But then there's other, others of you in here. I got to say this. Pastor Justin, Brenda, my mom and dad, do you know I, every single Sunday of my entire life, except for like the three Sundays a year I'm not here, I have watched my parents come to church. I have watched life be falling out underneath them. I have watched people stab them in the back. I've watched people who were their best friends leave them. I've watched them lose people they adore. I have watched my mom and dad every single Sunday, no matter what's going on in their life. They lift their hands. And if you stand anywhere near my dad during worship, he is louder than the stage. (laughs) And he lifts his voice and he praises. He praises because he sees He praises because he's got a fulfillment of it all. No, he praises because he gets the promise. And when you get the promise, you can't help but praise. And people of God, I think that there's a gift for us this season to have our eyes open afresh to the promise that God's not done. He's still setting his world right. But now, the really cool thing is, get this, he's not just doing it in Jesus, he's doing it in you and I who have Jesus being birthed within us. He is setting the world right. He's using us. We're the fulfillment of the promise. It's us. And I believe that when we see that, it's going to prompt a praise in us that nobody can silence, that no circumstance can silence, that no injustice can silence. You're going to have to work to keep me shut up. You're going to have to work from keeping me from praising my God because life's perfect. No, (laughs) because I want to go to where Jesus is. I want to be lifted above this mess. I want to be lifted above these statistics. I want to be lifted above the pain in this world. And I want to go to where he is, even if it's just for a moment. I want to go to where he is ruling and reigning and winning and get a break and get a breather so that I can come back and I can be that force of revolution in the world too. Let's read her Magnificent. She says this, My soul praises the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. You have to know this as I'm reading this to you. There are 26 parallels from this passage into the Old Testament. This is sacred, sacred scripture. This is sacred song. This is sacred praise given to us as a gift. There's a reason churches all over the world read this every single evening. God wants praise to erupt in his people. He wants praise to erupt in your home. He wants praise to erupt in your life. I don't know about you, but as a parent, I am guilty when things don't go the way I want them to go to complain, to say things about people I shouldn't say. What if our homes became places of 
praise instead of complaint? What if our homes became places where when life's hard, when things go bad, we begin to praise? What kind of revolution might begin in our homes? It goes on and it says this, because he looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant, surely from now on, all generations are gonna call me blessed because the mighty one has done great things for me. His name is holy. His mercy is from generation to generation. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones. The governments that are evil, the people that are evil, He's toppled them. He's taken care. This is a war cry. This is a battle cry. He's satisfied the hungry with good things. He sent the rich away empty and he has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. Do you notice all the verbs are in the past tense? You know why? Because Mary sang before she saw. She was able to write this beautiful, praise this beautiful poem saying, it's already done. I don't see it, but I know it's coming. I don't see it, but I know salvation is on its way. Wrongs are getting righted. The world's getting put right. The world's getting put back the way it's supposed to be. People of God, God wants praise to come out of our lives. God wants praise coming out of our homes. God wants praise. You know, I don't care if you're like me and you're like, I'm not, like, I'm an extrovert. It's easy for me to be, ah, you know, I like to karaoke. I like to do it all. Or if you're sitting here and you're like, I'm an introvert. It doesn't matter where you are on that crazy spectrum. Okay. Praise is supposed to come out of your mouth. Praise is supposed to come out of your life. Promise prompts praise. Do you know what God has promised you? Do you have a glimpse of his salvation for you? So we're gonna go on with the story and before we do, I wanna do a little tiny recap to make sure everybody gets the context of what's about to happen. Right before this story, there is an older gentleman named Zachariah and I love that God is coming to a 13 year old girl and God is coming to an old man because you know what that tells us? God is for everyone. God has a plan for everyone. There's no one missing out on his salvation story coming to the world. And so there's this old man and he's a priest and he's a godly man and it is finally his moment, the moment he's been waiting for his whole life where he gets to go into the special place, the Holy of Holies and offer for the entire congregation a sacrifice and he gets to meet with God for all the people, this one guy and he goes into this place and an angel comes, okay? Again, angels, I'm scared. Like maybe somebody tonight's gonna, an angel's gonna visit you. Tell me how you'd respond because I would run. I would run very fast and far. I'd knock on my neighbor's home, help me, you know. But an angel shows up and he's like, Zachariah, you're old. You've wanted a kid for decades and decades and decades. And I am here to tell you that that's gonna happen. Your wife's gonna have a baby. And Zachariah's like, yeah, thanks God. 
I wanted that like, you know, 10 decades ago. And he's like, well, how's that going to happen? My wife's old. I'm old. And the angel's like, you know what? I don't like your attitude or your face. And so I'm not going to let you talk for nine months, okay? So again, all the extroverts in here were actually crying over this. Like this would literally be the worst punishment God could ever give me, you know? Go without food? Sure. Go without talking? Never. You know, like never, right? And so... He tells him, hey, your son is a big deal because he's the one who's gonna go in front of Jesus and you need to name him John. Okay, so I've caught you up. Are we all caught up? Good. Okay, here we go. Verse 57. Now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth and she had a son. Then her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her his great mercy and they rejoiced with her because they were really old. Like all of you would rejoice with Pastor Jess and Brenda if Pastor Jess and Brenda were to announce they were gonna have a son and then they had that son, wouldn't we all rejoice with them? I actually think I would end up with a baby. So I would really, Pastor Jess would be like, and now be blessed with a baby. (laughs) And then he'd be like, can we move in? And I'd be like, no, the blessing doesn't extend that far. Okay, so when they came to circumcise the child on the eighth day, they were going to name him Zachariah after his father. But his mother responded, okay, this is not done in this culture. Moms don't speak up in the circumcision gathering. They're supposed to be quiet, right? And his mother says, no, he will be called John. Okay, now this is a big deal because boys were named after their dads. You know why boys were named after their dads? So if the dad screwed up and got life wrong, there was hopefully redemption for that name and the good kid, the kid who actually made this name work would be the one who remembered. I actually think it's genius. If I had it to do over again, both my boys would be named Jerusha. It's weird, but you know, two, I'd have a chance, right? I'd have a chance. So here we go. Then they said to her, none of your relatives has that name. So they motioned to his father, who remember can't speak, to find out what he wanted him to be called. He asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they were all amazed. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free and he began to speak praising God. Silence sets off song. Now here's the thing. God can use anything. A little piece of Bible history for you. After Malachi was written, that's the last book of the Old Testament, until this moment in time, it's called the intertestamental period. It's a big word that basically means this. God was silent. For 400 years, God didn't talk to people. There was no new revelation. For nine months, Zechariah didn't speak. You think it's coincidence? I don't. I think for 400 years, the world was in the womb of God. I think God was getting ready to birth his salvation. I don't think God was silent. I think he was working. I think the world was latent with possibility, with promise. And at the right moment, at the right time, God breaks through the silence with what? His name is John. Now to you and I, that doesn't mean anything. We know people named John, big deal. 
But in Bible times, you didn't just name people. When you named people, you were giving them the meaning of their name. A lot of people think my name is weird, Jerusha. My name's not weird, my name's a gift to me, why? Because when I was in my mom's belly, my mom and dad believed God asked them to name me Jerusha. Jerusha means possession of the Lord. So from the time I was a little girl, I would walk around and I would tell people, hi, my name's Jerusha and I belong to Jesus. Freak people out. Like not a good witnessing tool at all. They would like see me coming and they'd run. So God breaks through the silence <laughs> with his name is John. Means God is gracious. He breaks through the silence, screaming at our world, screaming at the pain, screaming at the brokenness, screaming at the evil and the chaos and the corrupt governments and the corrupt people. He breaks through that silence, screaming out to our world. He is gracious. He is gracious. We don't deserve it. We don't earn it. There's nothing we could do to get it, but His graciousness is coming at our world. Silence sets off song. You want to know why silence sets off song? Because in the silence, we remember God has been gracious. In the silence, we remember. We remember when He's come running to our rescue. In the silence, we're overcome with His graciousness. So many people tell me, God doesn't speak. God doesn't talk. He's not talking to me. He talks to other people. Oh, He's talking. He's, he's screaming at us. <laughs> Don't you hear? Don't you hear the graciousness? John 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, Jesus. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And we beheld His glory full of grace and truth. God is breaking through our universe then, and He's breaking through our universe now, and He's busting through the silence with the announcement that He is gracious and He's speaking again and He's talking again. And here's the thing, people of God, He's never quit talking. He's never quit speaking. If you have ears to hear, He's talking. And the really beautiful thing is we get this every day. We get this. His word breaking into our existence, His word breaking into our silence, His word breaking into our night. And you know when God's word breaks into your world, you know what you scream out? His name is John. God is gracious. I don't deserve it. I don't get why he went after me. I don't get why he found me. I don't get why he loves me, but he does. And he broke through my silence with his word. And when he did, the only thing my heart can say is God is gracious. And so we read Zachariah's song, equally beautiful. It's called the Benedictus after blessed is the Lord. Clever names, right? Clever. Blessed is the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and provided redemption for his people.
people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, just as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets in ancient times, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of those who hate us. He has dealt mercifully with our fathers and remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. Come on, he has given us the privilege since we have been rescued from the hand of our enemies to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness in his presence all our days. And then he breaks from his song and he he looks at his son, who is the new Elijah, getting ready to bring a second Elisha, who's greater, who's better. And he says to him, and you, child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of our God's merciful compassion. The dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into our peace. Silence sets off song. Silence reminds us God is gracious. Silence causes our hearts to look at our foes, to look at our enemies and say, be it unto me, bring it. This week as I've just been praying these two prayers, they're beautiful, you should pray them. It's crazy, I start out saying their words and just my own eruption of praise just begins to come out of my mouth. And so I start out saying my soul praises the greatness of the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. But then I begin to say, God, you are breaking through and you are breaking out and you're entering our world with salvation and you're setting things that have been wrong. You're setting them right. God, you're coming to citizens, students whose lives haven't been the way they should, who haven't had the parents they should, who haven't had the circumstances they should, but Jesus, somehow in your mercy and in your grace, you're giving them the ability to look at those situations and say, be it unto me, Jesus, you're coming. You're coming at our church. You're coming at Living Hope with a fresh move of your presence, with a fresh move of praise. You're coming at our lives with an ability to stare down our foes and say, be it unto me, Jesus, you are coming to my Hudson. And God, you're going to unlock the way he's wired. You're going to unlock his brain. God, you're going to give us wisdom. You're going to put your salvation in my Hudson. Jesus, you're coming to our hope. Kids, you're coming to each one. They're going to know they're fearfully and wonderfully made. They're going to know that they can face down their foe because their God fights for them. People of God, when conception happens in you, when new life happens in you, when Jesus is birthed in you, there is a conviction that comes out of you, be it unto me. There's a grace before the fulfillment to look at circumstances and say, I don't see it, but I know the promise and it's gonna prompt a huge praise out of my life. And it allows when it feels like God's forgotten you, when it feels like God's forsaken you, when it feels like you're all alone, you're gonna speak to the silence. His name is John. And it's gonna set off a song in you that no one can silence. It's gonna set off a song in your home 
that no one can shut up. I believe this morning, if you want it, God is here. He's here for you. You might have your enemy in your crosshairs. He's here to help you say, be it unto me. You may not see a fulfillment of what you thought. Life hasn't turned out the way you thought, but he's got a praise that's gonna come out of your life. And maybe he's just been silent. You thought he was gone. You thought he was absent. You thought he'd forgotten about you. And today, people of God, he's breaking through your silence and he wants to set off song in your life. So I wanna encourage all of us. No, we're not Catholics, but we're people who read the Bible. Every morning this week, start your morning with a song of revolution. Start your morning with a battle cry. Speak to your upside down world. Speak to your foes. Mary's Magnificent, Luke 1. Read it. Watch what happens. Watch what God does. Watch what he does in your families. Watch what he does in your kids, in your marriages. Watch what he does at work. God's about revolution. God's about setting his world right. God's about you and me being the force of change in our world. We're gonna end a little bit differently tonight to this morning. Beautiful, beautiful song prepared for you. And I'd actually like to just invite you all to stay sitting. And just as they begin to sing, and just as you begin to talk between you and God, wherever you are, whether you need conception to compel you to conviction, or you need promise to prompt praise, or you need silence to set off song, when it begins to work in you, when you begin to feel that sense of praise that can't be shut up, I want you to just stand and just begin to praise your God, to praise your King, to praise our God who's turning our world right side up. And then about halfway through the song, we have this really beautiful moment and we're gonna baptize someone who has had the new life forming in her. And she's got a conviction that today she's gonna go into the waters of baptism and she's gonna say, be it unto me, God, I surrender what you want for my life, not mine. So God, in this moment, we ask, that you release praise in your people, not praise attached to fulfillment, not praise attached to what you've done, but God, praise that praises to the promise, praise that praises in the moment, praise that looks down our foes and says, be it unto me.